Facebook to reconsider their nudity policy after photographer protests. The Nike collection gets a major upgrade from DxO. And Apple unveils the new Mac Pro at this week's Worldwide Developer Conference. All this on episode 23 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and you're listening to episode 23. So this week, Facebook has agreed to rethink its stance on nudity following an outcry from photographers who have been protesting the social network's banning of artistic nudity in photographs. In recent months, Facebook has faced scrutiny for its community guidelines and censorship practices, writes the National Coalition Against Censorship, or the NCAC. The site's policies, which make an exception for nudity in paintings and sculptures, excludes photography. Photographers reported having their accounts and photos deleted without warning or explanation. So recently, on June 2nd, A bunch of people gathered to protest outside of Facebook's New York City offices to speak out against the company's policy. 125 male and female models stripped down and held giant photos of male nipples over their bodies to cover themselves. The women also wore male nipple stickers over their own nipples, a reference to the fact that Facebook's policies specifically banned female nipples. We restrict the display of nudity or sexual activity because some people in our community may be sensitive to this type of content, Facebook writes in its community standards document. Our nudity policies have become more nuanced over time. While we do restrict some images of female breasts that include the nipple, we allow other images, including those depicting acts of protest, women actively engaged in breastfeeding, and photos of post-mastectomy scarring. We also allow photographs of paintings and sculptures and other art that depicts nude figures. The unusual photo shoot and protest made national headlines, and the NCAC just announced that Facebook has agreed to meet with a group of artists, educators, curators, and activists to discuss its policies and figure out if or how they can be changed to better serve creators. Images of the human body have been a central Subject for art for centuries, NCAC writes. Nevertheless, Instagram, the most popular platform for artists who share their work online, and Facebook both banned photographic representations of a nude body. Facebook has confirmed it will be holding a meeting regarding nudity. The company notes that it hasn't pledged to make any changes to its policy, but rather its goal is to learn more about outgoing concerns people have regarding its policies when it comes to artistic nudes. Now, the one thing that I did find interesting from all of this is the protesters who protested outside Facebook's New York City offices in the buff have said that the, their group is known as We the Nipple, <laughs> which I thought was a little bit unusual. And they even use hashtag We the Nipple on their Instagram post, where it shows all of their uh, nude backsides while they're also holding the printed out nipple images above their heads with their hands in the air. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Um, I know one of my friends, um, 
in the Illinois, Chicago, Illinois area, uh, Brian Sadowski does a lot of work photographing artistic nudes and uh, he does a lot of different themes and stuff like that. And he makes incredible images. And I know he's complained numerous times because of the fact that Facebook makes him blur out um, his subjects, nipples and stuff like that when he posts his images on Facebook. And that's one of the reasons why, and this is something other artists and creators might want to think about. Um, he recently, well, it's been a, a while now, but and he told me about it as well. There's another social media platform called MeWe, which is M-E-W-E.com. And they're somewhat similar to Facebook, but the big difference is on their platform, they do not censor artistic nudes. So Brian, my friend Brian is able to post his artistic nude photos of his female models and different theme shoots and stuff that he does, and he doesn't have to blur out their nipples. And I, I mean, he's not doing pornographic stuff. Of course, he's not showing the genitals, but um, he does like the fact that on MeWe, he can leave the images untouched and upload them on there and he doesn't get censored or banned or have his photos deleted or anything like that. So that may be something that these creatives want to consider um, if Facebook is not willing to adjust their policy. And, and in a way I can understand it because Facebook is used by a lot of people. I mean, it's grown to be a massive platform and I can't swear to it, but I think I heard or read somewhere uh, not too long ago that they, I think they have like over a billion users worldwide or something like that. So they got a large percentage of the earth's population on their platform. And so I can kind of understand, I mean, granted it's artistic nudity, but you have Facebook being used by children and not all parents would want their young, you know, four or five, six, eight year olds seeing, you know, even artistic nudes. Now, I know what you're going to say, you know, photos like that have been in National Geographic forever, but yeah, how many people bought National Geographic and left those articles laying around the house in front of their, you know, five or six-year-old? Uh, it didn't happen very, <laughs> I don't imagine it happened too frequently. Um, so it might be possible, and it, you know, it might be possible if Facebook decides to modify their policy, they may have to come up with a way to verify a Facebook user's age to determine whether or not that their account would be allowed to view content like this. And I thought maybe one of the best ways they could implement that would be to require Facebook users to upload a, a scanned copy of their driver's license or state issue ID that proves their, you know, how old they are. Um, I thought that might be one possibility. So in other words, if you haven't uploaded that uh, photo ID verifying your age that you're 18 or older, then they could just restrict your account from accessing this kind of content. And maybe what in order to make that work, what they would have to do is on the creator side, like my friend Brian, he might have to update his profile with a flag that says, yes, I do upload artistic nudes on a regular basis. And then because I, I, I've done development myself, I've written plenty of code in my time. It wouldn't be too hard for Facebook's developers to take that information from Brian's profile and then create an algorithm that'll, uh, anytime somebody tries to access his artistic nude photos, uh, the system would check to see if that user had uploaded a, a valid photo ID proving that they were at least 18 or older. And if they haven't, then they're not allowed to view the content no matter what. They can't unblock it or uncover it or whatever. Because right now they do allow um, some types of, of questionable images on their platform. And I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just saying images that to some viewers might be questionable content like graphic violence or stuff like that. 
and they currently, um, their system will automatically hide those images and it gives you a little warning and then it has a little bar and it says click here if you want to uncover this content and view it anyways and then you can. Um, they could use something similar for uh, artistic news, but like I said, they would have to tie it into some sort of algorithm where it checks my friend's profile, sees, yes, he does uh, upload artistic nudes. He's a professional artist. He does do artistic nude work. And then, okay, does the viewer, has the viewer uploaded a properly vetted photo ID issued by a state agency and verifying they're 18 or older? And if not, then they can't uncover those images. It's as simple as that. So that might be something that Facebook could do to remedy this situation if, if they feel inclined to. And, and, and it's hard to tell what they're going to do. Facebook is uh, sometimes really stubborn about how they do things and, and their policies on their platform. Um, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But hey, at least they're willing to meet with the NCAC's uh, folks and at least talk to them and, and get more of their side of the story and then and then consider things from there. So it's definitely something that uh, we'll have to wait and see how it fleshes out. So for the next segment, the next item I want to talk about in this episode is the Nick Collection. That's how I pronounce it. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's N-I-K. And the Nick Collection is a series of photography plugins and presets that you can use within Photoshop, Lightroom, as well as Photoshop Elements. And they make really fantastic plugins. Years ago, um, the software was created by its original developing company, and I can't remember what the name of the company was. Uh, but anyways, when they originally released the software quite a few years back, they were originally selling the bundle of plugins for like 500 bucks. Um, and then eventually they were bought out by Google and Google decided to give the plugins away for free, which made a lot of photographers happy because their plugins are really fantastic. You can do a lot of really cool and creative things with their plugins. Um, so Google had acquired uh, not only the Night Collection, but also the Snapseed photo editing app that was available for both Mac and iOS. I'm not sure if Snapseed was available on Android or not. It might have been, uh, especially since Google developed Android. Um, I'm sure it probably was. Um, but at one time, uh, there was a bundle where you could get the Night Collection and Snapseed in 2012, and it was a $150 bundle, but you got it for free, like I said, when Google had it. Um, in 2016, you could get it for free, I should say. And then Google announced that it would, would be abandoning the software in 2017, which I was really bummed out about, but at least I could still use, you know, the, the software, the, the version of the plugins that I currently had. They still work just fine with the latest versions of Lightroom and Photoshop. In 2017, the French photography company, DxO, and I'm sure many of my listeners, if you're into photography, are familiar with DxO. They put out uh, some of their own photography editing software, and they also do a lot of comparisons of sensors in cameras, the sensor capabilities. They compare them all, you know, Nikon versus Canon versus Fuji versus Panasonic and yada, yada, yada. Um, and those are known as DxO marks. That's the, the portion of their website where they give you their analysis of camera sensors, lenses, bodies, stuff like that. Well, now then DxO in 2017 bought out the software and they promised to resume, resume development 
and it did in 2018 while making it a paid product again, but not nearly as expensive. Now, after years of its rise and decline and changing hands, the software's next major version is finally here. And DxO is just simply naming it the new Nick Collection 2, or version 2, I would assume. So in this new version, they're offering 42 new presets in addition to the 156 that already existed in the software. Um, it adds the 42 new, they call En Vogue presets to the original set of 156. And there are 10 new recipes in Color Effects Pro, which is one of the sub-programs or plugins, 10 new black and white presets in Silver Effects Pro, which I love the Silver Effects a lot. It does a great job of making absolutely stunning uh, black and white photographs. There's 12 new presets for HDR in the HDR Effects Pro and 10 new tool combos for the Analog Effects Pro plugin as well. The latest filters in Nick Collection 2 will take your photo's emotional impact to the next level, says DxO Mark, or DxO. The Blue Monday preset in Color Effect Pro combines the fresh look of subtle veritone coloring, the visual interest of cross-processing, and the softness of slightly desaturated effect, per their statement. More Silver in Silver Effects Pro pairs the crispness of silver toning with a fine grain resulting in black and white photographs that feature a level of balanced contrast typically achieved only through darkroom techniques. In Analog Effects Pro, the new burned edges can be used to reproduce the burned edge vignetting toning and framing effects typical of old-fashioned analog cameras. Nick Collection 2 also brings better high-resolution display for photographers on a Windows machine. The software now supports high-resolution monitors uh, known as HIDPI on Windows. The graphic elements of the Color Effect Pro, Silver Effect Pro, HDR Effect Pro, and Analog Effect Pro plug-in interface have been improved to ensure flawless readability when viewed through high-resolution monitors, just like with the Mac OS version. So the Windows side has been upgraded so that it looks better in high resolution monitors and windows like it has for, it always has in, in uh, Mac OS. So they have a new bundling to help photographers work with raw photos. DxO is now bundling its $129, $129 DxO Photo Lab 2.3 Essential Edition photo editing software inside the Night Collection 2. So you're actually getting both programs for a bundled price. DxO, DxO has developed integrations between its PhotoLab app and the Night Collection with the introduction of a new dedicated button and drop-down menu. After a raw photo is edited within PhotoLab 2, it can be easily sent to Nick Collection plugin for further editing and enhancing with creative effects. Now for the pricing and availability. Night Collection 2 is now available through the DxO website with a price tag of $150, but it's on sale for $100 through June 30th, and an upgrade from the previous version will cost you $80, but is currently on sale for $60 through June 30th. So you may want to uh, hop on over to DxO's website and grab that while it's on sale, because I can tell you I've been using D uh, the Nick Collection since it originally released many, many moons ago. 
And I really love the plugins. They, they really can do some amazing, amazing changes to your images in a good way. Um, they can definitely punch your creative creativity up to the next level. So you definitely want to check them out. I'll put the link uh, to their website where they're on sale in the show notes for this episode so that you can go on by there and check it out. I believe you can also download a trial version um, that you can try out probably for 30 days before you actually would have to uh, pay for a license and activate it. Um, I'm just looking on their site. And yes, it does look like they offer a trial period. So you can, um, they're fantastic, a fantastic bundle of utilities uh, for your photography. And like I said, they work in Photoshop, Lightroom, DxO's Photo Lab 2 software, as well as Photoshop Essentials. So if you don't have the high end Photoshop, you've got the less expensive Photoshop Essentials, you will still be able to use this bundle of plugins to edit your work. So I think that's really exciting. So the next thing I want to talk about, if you did not already know, this week was the, on Monday of this week, was the start of Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference 2019. And Apple did have a lot of really cool things to talk about during their keynote. They never disappoint. Um, the keynote for this year was over two hours long. And they did talk about a lot of fantastic new things that are coming. They talked about their new version of iOS. They've decided to break off the iPad into its own OS, which they're now calling iPad OS. So iOS will only be on the, the iPhone and the iPods. Um, iPad OS will be the, the operating system on the iPads. And then, of course, you have TV OS for the Apple TVs and Mac OS for your desktop and laptop. One of the things that Apple unveiled on Monday during their keynote is a brand new redesigned Mac Pro tower. Now, this is something that a lot of artistics and creatives have been clamoring for for quite some time. For many, many years, Apple made a Mac Pro tower, which was very similar in design to a white box PC. In other words, a PC that you could build yourself at home by buying the components at a local store like uh, Micro Center or someplace like that, or Fry's Electronics. Um, and they were really popular because you could do a lot of the upgrades yourself. You could buy a, a standard graphics card um, and put it in it, or you could put extra hard drives inside the case because it had you know additional hard, internal hard drive slots just like a PC case did. You could have, instead of the, the one hard drive that the system came with, you could pre-order it with two hard drives, larger capacity, or you could order it with a basic hard drive. And then once you got a home, you could yank that out and put in your own bigger hard drives and you could have up to four hard drives. And then of course you could also upgrade the RAM um, and creatives loved that. And then a few years ago, Apple decided to go with a totally different design for the Mac uh, computer, the Mac Pro, and they created what came to be known as the wastebasket design. So it was a small round cylinder of a computer, um, which was very underpowered. They only came with a very small solid state hard drive, um, usually 64 or 128 gigs or something like that. I mean, they were ridiculously small and you could not easily upgrade the system. Well, Consumers revolted, as you can imagine, 
And they didn't end up selling very well, especially for their price tag at the time, which I think was about $3,000 for a desktop computer that you can't upgrade, <laughs> you know, which was a little bit crazy. I don't know who came up with that idea at Apple, and I'm not sure if they got fired over that one or not. But anyways, so Apple listened to their customers, and now they're going to be releasing a new Mac Pro tower, similar to what they released in the older days. And this one has a whole new design. The new model has a stainless steel chassis, which is simply beautiful. And then its outer shell has this unique cheese grater look where they've created all these little circles with different openings through them. Kind of like, uh, like I said, like a cheese grater. And what it is, is it's to improve the airflow to help cool the system. And they put a lot of research and development um, into this and came up with this new design that allows them to offer this high-end tower for their customers with maximum cooling effectiveness. Now, the thing that's interesting, aside from that, is the fact that this new model will be capable of having anywhere from 8 to 28 core Intel Xeon W processor in it. At 3.5 gigahertz, uh, standard, it comes with eight cores, and the standard base price for this model is $6,000. It's $5,999, and I'm not joking. Uh, the base model comes with eight cores, turbo boost up to 4.0 gigahertz, 24.5 megabytes of cache, and supports 2666 megahertz memory. Then you can upgrade to the 12-core model, with 24 threads, it's 3.3 gigahertz. Uh, turbo boost up to 4.4 gigahertz, 31.25 megabytes of cache, and supports 2933 megahertz memory. And it goes on up from there. I'm not going to read off all of them to you because I don't want to bore everybody to death. But you can go to 16 cores, 24, and then 28. Now, the memory configuration, the base memory for the starting model that's $6,000, comes with 8 cores and 32 gigs of RAM which is four 8-gigabyte DIMMs. Now, the thing that's interesting is this is the first desktop-style computer I've ever seen that has 12 DIMM slots for memory. You heard me right. You can put up to 12 memory sticks in this Mac Pro tower. So you can get it with four 8-gigabytes for 32 total. You can get it with six 8-gigabytes for 48. Six 16 gigabyte DIMMs for 96 RAM, uh, six 32s for 192 gigabytes of RAM, six 64 gig DIMMs for 384 gigabytes of RAM, six 128 gig DIMMs or 12 64 gigabyte DIMMs to get you 768 gigs of RAM, or you can go with 12 128 gigabyte DIMMs, which can only be done on the 24 or 24 uh, or 28 core processor which would give you 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Now, some of the other things that are interesting about this new tower, uh, the graphics system is configured with two MPX modules, which can have a total of four GPUs. So you heard me correctly. You can have up to four graphic processing units in this tower. It comes with the ADM, ADM Radeon Pro 580X, which has 36... 36 compute units, 2,304 stream processors, 8 gigabytes of DDR5 memory, up to 5.6 teraflops single precision. 
two HDMI 2.0 ports are on the card. Four DisplayPort connections routed the system to support internal Thunderbolt 3 ports, support for up to six 4K displays, two 5K displays, or two Pro Display XDRs. Half-height MPX module fits in an MPX bay and enables PCIe slot 2 for additional expansion. And there's other graphic uh, configurations that you can go with. Now, the thing that was really interesting is they were saying when they were doing the presentation for this new Mac Pro Tower at the keynote that with the top-of-the-line model, which has 28 cores and 1.5 terabytes of RAM, and you also have the four high-end graphic cards and GPUs in it, you can actually power six monitors simultaneously. And I'm talking about six of Apple's new monitors, which I'm going to get to in just a moment here. Now, the power supply is 1.4 kilowatts with a maximum continuous power of 1,280 watts and 105, or 108 to 125 volts or 220 to 240 volts, 108, uh, 1,180 watts at 100 to 107 volts. So it depends on the type of power your country has, um, what kind of performance you can get and the, the outputs of the power supply, but that is a monster-sized power supply. For expansion slots, you get eight PCI Express slots. Two MPX modules or up to four PCI Express slots can be used in the bays. Each MPX bay provides X16 Gen 3 bandwidth for graphics, X8 Gen 3 bandwidth for Thunderbolt, DisplayPort video routing, up to 500 watts power for an MPX module, Alternatively, each MPX bay can support one full-length double-wide X16 Gen 3 slot and one full-length double-wide X8 Gen 3 slot in MPX bay 1, or two full-length double-wide X16 Gen 3 slots MPX bay 2, up to 300 watts auxiliary power via two 8-pin connectors. It'll also have three full-length PCI Express Gen 3 slots, and one half length X4 PCI Express Gen 3 slot with Apple I.O. card installed. Now, the interesting thing is it also has something they're calling Afterburner ProRes and ProRes Raw Accelerator card. This is a PCI Express X16 card that accelerates ProRes and ProRes Raw codecs in Final Cut Pro 10, QuickTime Player 10, and supported third-party apps. Supports playback of up to three streams of 8K ProRes RAW or up to 12 streams of 4K ProRes RAW. Now, the thing that was interesting is when they were demonstrating this machine on the stage, um, the, the person, the gentleman from Apple that was doing this part of the presentation, as far as how much computing power the system has, especially if you buy the top of the line version, which I'm predicting if the base model six grand, the top of the line one's probably anywhere between thirty and sixty thousand dollars, with all the all the hardware maxed out from Apple. But the thing that was interesting is he did a demonstration with Logic Pro X, which is Apple's audio editing software. It's very similar to Adobe Audition, and he was able to add. One a 1,000 total piece orchestra 
to Logic Pro 10, and this system still was not being maxed out. It had the capabilities to handle a lot more. And the new version of Logic Pro 10 that's going to be designed specifically for this model, you can only download it if you have this model Mac, um, will give users the ability to handle 1,000 audio tracks simultaneously in uh, Logic Pro 10 without this thing even breaking a sweat. And that's just mind-blowing. I can see a lot of professional studios and recording, both movie and audio recording studios, that are probably going to be buying these monsters to use, um, you know, to produce albums and movies and stuff like that. It's just crazy. Now, as far as storage configuration, you can get up to four terabytes of SSD storage. Uh, the base model comes with 256 gig. Um, you can also get two 512 gig modules for a total of one terabyte. You can get two one terabyte modules for a total of two terabytes, or you can get two two terabyte modules for a total of four terabytes. Up to 2.6 gigabit a second sequential read speed and 2.7 gigabit a, se uh, a second sequential write performance. And the storage is encrypted by the Apple T2 security chip which is fantastic because then you don't have to worry about uh, anybody compromising your data or your projects that you're working on because of that high level of security. Now for input and output, the IO card installed in the half-length X4 PCI Express slot with two USB 3 ports, support for USB-A up to 5 gig gigabits a second, two Thunderbolt 3 ports, support for Thunderbolt 3 up to 40 gigabits a second, support for USB-C up to 10 gigabits a second, and support for DisplayPort as well. With two 10 gig Ethernet ports, you have support for 10 gig Ethernet performance over copper cabling. Also support for Enbase T, industry standard 1 gigabit, 2.5 gigabit, 5 gigabit, and 10 gigabit Ethernet link speeds using RJ45, or what's also known as the Cat5, Cat6 network connectors. So, and in additional connections, it has two Thunderbolt 3 ports on the top of the tower enclosure. It has built-in speaker and a 3.5-inch uh, headphone jack with uh, headphone support. And input devices, it comes with the Magic Keyboard with, numeric uh, with the numeric keypad, the silver-black model combo, and the Magic Mouse 2, which is silver-black. And you can optionally get the Magic Trackpad 2, which comes in silver and black. Now, I have the uh, Magic Keyboard and Trackpad 2 um, in the silver and black color, and I like it a lot better than the uh, standard Apple white ones. The white ones just tend to get too dirty. You have to clean them all the time. And with the black, it's not nearly as big an issue. And I was really bummed out because um, Apple never made a silver and black keyboard other than for their MacBooks until, uh, what was it, last year or the year before when they unveiled the iMac Pro. But at the time, you could only get that silver and black keyboard and trackpad or uh, magic mouse if you bought the iMac Pro. And I wasn't about to drop a minimum of five grand for a new iMac when the one I have now is perfectly fine for what I need. It could stand to be a little more powerful, but overall, I'm happy with it. And I've had it for a couple of years. Uh, but then over time, I guess because of a lot of people complaining like myself, Apple decided to start selling the keyboard and silver and black keyboard and, and magic trackpad and magic mouse separately 
Um, they did, of course, charge a premium. What else is new? <laughs> uh, wireless connectivity. It also has Wi-Fi 802.11ac built in and IEEE 802.11a. It's capable of A, B, G, and N networks. So it works with all wireless networks and the Bluetooth is 5.0 wireless technology. Now for the dimensions, and this is where it gets interesting. The tower is 20.8 inches tall or 52.9 centimeters. It's 17.7 inches long or 45 centimeters. And it's 8.58 inches wide or 21.8 centimeters. Now you can get the, this tower with optional wheels on the bottom so that you can move it around more easily, especially in your studio. Now you may think that sounds kind of crazy until you hear how much this bad boy weighs. Its weight is 39.7 pounds or 18 kilograms. So yeah, that's one hefty monster, especially if you get it maxed out with all the hardware, I can just imagine. And of course, the operating system is Mac OS Mojave, which is the current version. And of course, at Worldwide Developer Conference 2019 keynote on Monday, they did, of course, unveil their next operating system, which will be available in the fall, which is when this new Mac Pro Tower will be releasing. And the new Mac OS will be called Catalina. So, of course, this system will be capable of running Catalina as soon as it is released. Now, whether the OS comes out first or the tower comes out first, or if they both come out at the same time, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it is interesting. And, of course, you'll be able to upgrade free of charge anyways. Apple uh, hasn't charged for their operating system for a number of years now, which is great. They decided to go the, the free route like uh, most all of the major Linux distributions, which I think that's good for consumers. Uh, it saves you money. I was never a big fan of Apple's, or I mean of uh, Microsoft's licensing with uh, Windows. It was always so expensive. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention that's interesting about this iMac tower is it has a handle on the top of it that you in the center that flips up it's a half circle you flip it up and you twist that and that's how you unlock the enclosure so that you can lift the, the enclosure off the frame and get to everything inside the power button is also on the top and as i mentioned earlier there's two usb-c thunderbolt 3 ports on the top and there's a handle on each end of the chassis to carry it by and you're definitely going to get a workout if you're carrying this monster around. So the next new item I want to talk about that Apple announced at the Worldwide Developers Conference this week, and I know this is another Apple item, but bear with me. Uh, a lot of photographers use Apple products for editing their photos and videos, and I happen to be one of them. Both Janice and I use uh, Apple iMac 27-inch models, and she has a MacBook Air, and I have a MacBook Pro. So it is still photography-related for this podcast, so... Calm down, don't be sending me hatograms over this. So, I don't know how many of you knew this, but years ago, Apple used to sell their own monitors. Um, in the beginning, they were called cinema displays, and then later they changed them to Thunderbolt displays when they changed them to the Thunderbolt hookups, you know, interface cables. And they were fairly hefty. If you wanted to get the 27-inch uh, Thunderbolt display, you were talking $1,000. Now, don't get me wrong, it was a very high-quality display, IPS panels and all of that, um, great color gamut, dynamic range, all of that stuff. It was a fantastic monitor. 
but I was not the kind of person that was going to spend $1,000 for a 27-inch monitor when I could get one from LG or somebody else that was fantastic for like a third the price. And the other thing that always I always thought was weird was the fact that the Thunderbolt display for the 27-inch monitor was $1,000, and for just a few hundred dollars more, you could buy it as a 27-inch iMac, and you got the display and a computer all in one all in one body. So I always thought that was kind of odd that their monitor was almost as, as expensive as their 27-inch computer was that was built into the monitor. So anyways, I digress. Let's get on with this. So this new monitor is called the Pro Display XDR, and Apple explained that XDR stands for, wait for it, Extended Dynamic Range. Now, most of you, if you've been in photography for any amount of time, you're familiar with high dynamic range. Well, Apple is going beyond that to what they now call Extended Dynamic Range. And this new, dis new display is a 32-inch Retina 6K display. It's the first one ever made. Up to 1,600 nits of brightness, an astonishing 1 million to 1 contrast ratio, and super wide viewing angle. Over a billion colors presented with exceptional accuracy and a dynamic range that transforms the professional workflow is introduced in this new Pro Display XDR, the world's best professional display unit. And on their website, you can watch the film on it. Now, the thing that's interesting about this new display that Apple is releasing, it's 32 inches in size and it's 6K. And on the back of it, it looks like it has four USB-C ports or Thunderbolt 3 ports. And it also has that cheese grater looking design on the back of it, which is supposed to help with airflow and cooling. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is this unit um, is brighter. It has 1,000 nits of full screen sustained brightness, 16,000 nit or 1,600 nits of peak brightness, and a 1 million to 1 contrast ratio. But the other thing that's interesting is this monitor sells by itself for $5,000. You heard me right. A 32-inch 6K Retina display for $4,999. Now, that's just for the display. If you want the sexy new stand to mount the display on to put it on your desk, the stand will cost you an additional $1,000. So in other words, if you want to upgrade to the new Mac Pro Tower, you're talking a minimum of six grand if you buy the base model, and then another six grand for the 32-inch 6K display with its stand. And the stand is pretty cool. It has uh, an interesting articulating arm component to it that goes into the back of the monitor, and it'll actually move to some really cool tilt and raise and lower positions and stuff like that. It's really cool, and you can check it out on Apple's website. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I'd believe any desktop stand for an, a monitor is worth a thousand dollars. I mean, it's, that's a real premium price. But then again, if you're somebody that owns a multi-billion dollar movie studio or recording studio, I guess maybe that's not that big a deal. Uh, but you'll definitely have to uh, decide that for yourself. Now, they do also offer a, I believe they called it a Visa adapter to go on the back so you can wall mount the monitor if you'd prefer. 
And this monster 6K monitor is the one I was talking about earlier when I was talking about the, the Mac Pro Tower being able to, with its maxed out graphics card, four, four GPUs, it could handle six of these monitors simultaneously. So you're talking six 32-inch 6K monitors all being driven by that Mac Pro Tower. So... Again, if you've got a, a big Hollywood studio or, or uh, something along that lines, uh, you do a lot of movies or TV and you really prefer to do your workflow in, in Mac, this is the monster that you need. But like I said, no word yet on the total cost for the top of the line Mac Pro Tower, but the base unit with 256 gigs of storage, 32 gigs of RAM and eight core processor is going to run you $6,000. And like I mentioned earlier, I can almost guarantee that the fully maxed out model with four GPUs, one and a half terabytes of RAM, four terabytes of storage, and 28 cores, I would estimate probably going to run somewhere between thirty dollars and $60,000. But again, like I said, if you're, if you're a big Hollywood studio, that's probably not that big of an expense for you. If you've got billions of dollars... Um, and you can produce, you know, thousands of movies on this setup. You know, you buy three or four of these, whatever you need to get your studio, keep your studio going, you know, full bore with all this processing power and editing power, then yeah, it's definitely going to be worth it for you. So I thought that was definitely something interesting to talk about on this episode. And again, like I said, I understand that it's a, primarily a photography podcast, but I do like to talk about new technology like this that is frequently used by photographers and videographers in their workflow, I definitely feel that it, that it fits into the category of being included in a photography podcast. So I hope you'll all bear with me and not get too angry and send me too much hate mail over talking about computer stuff. All right. So that's all I have for this episode, episode 23 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and any other software you might use to listen to this podcast, which now includes Spotify and Stitcher. I'm still trying to get on Pandora, but so far they haven't gotten back to me on whether or not they're going to include my podcast on their platform. I also want to remind all my listeners that you're free to join the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. You are required to answer a question. It is a closed group. Uh, the question that you have to answer to get entry into the group is the name of the host, which is myself. You can put Liam or Liam Douglas, and we'll let you into the group. If you don't answer the question, then I will not let you into the group. I figure that's pretty simple and straightforward. And the whole reason why I do that is to cut down on the amount of bots and spammers so they're not annoying everybody. And as I've mentioned in, other epi in every episode, you are free to upload your own original photographs to the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. Please do not share other photographers' work. Don't be taking other photographers' work and resharing it into the group or posting it as your own stuff when it is not actually an original piece of work of your own. If you do that, you will be banned from the group. Please only share your original content. And let's try not to go too overboard. Let's say no more than five images in a 24-hour period. You can upload them one at a time, or you can do a batch of five in a little slideshow, whatever you want to call it there, the way Facebook renders 
uh, multiple photos in a, in a single upload, you know, where you just click the arrow on the left or right to scroll through them um, in the low, like, uh, non-automated slideshow. But like I said, you are free to upload your own original work to the podcast group, and you can request criti- uh, creative criticism on your work by uh, saying CC, please. And I will leave it with this, and I will see you again next week in episode 24.